Thanks, Tom. Uh, well, it is an absolute privilege to be speaking to you today. Listen, if you've traveled uh, far, I've heard we've got some people from Cheltenham. Anywhere further than Cheltenham today? Anyone beating that today? No, Cheltenham, come see me afterwards, you get a prize. Um, can't guarantee what that prize might be. Probably one of my children's like old Hobus biscuits or something like that. But I might be able to do something better than that for you. But um, it really is uh, a privilege when we have these services just to have so many people with us, just to share this family moment with uh, Theo, Beth. Um, it's an absolute honor for us to be able to do this and to have you in our space. Listen, if you are a guest today, if you've traveled up, or even if you found us online, if you've been invited by a friend and it just so happens to be a Thanksgiving and you're not used to coming to church, I just want to say, like, I know that this can be a pretty alien experience, like doing what you've done. Um, what might I get asked to do? Like, will I have to sing? When was the last time I sang, apart from happy birthday at someone's party? Like, you know, what about if I sing in the wrong key? What about if I stand at the wrong time? What about if I sit in someone's seat? You know, you might just think there's a plethora of things that could go wrong. Um, and you've been with us five minutes now, so you know it's chaos here anyway, so you don't need to worry really about any of those things. But I just wanted to say I'm so aware that it can feel daunting. It can feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, when I was about 12 years old, I was invited to the West Midlands Cross Country Athletics Championships. You can be impressed if you want to be. And, uh, and I, I came 45th. By the way, I'm really aware that cross-country like splits a crowd. And when I say splits a crowd, it's like, you know, the majority of people over here, like, I'll do anything to get out of cross-country. And there's like two people over here, like, we love getting dirty in a field. Like, so I was in the minority. I was all about that. And, uh, and I came 45th. I still remember my position out of 300. So, you know, well, I, I think um, it, it's all right. You know, it, it's nothing to write in the paper, but at the same time, it's respectable. I still remember it today. Um, but what happened was, once I had done that and got my breath back, got myself an apple and a bottle of water, I thought, I'm going to go and see uh, what the rest of uh, my friends are doing. So I thought, I'll go and watch the javelin. I, I can't really remember who's doing the javelin. So I walked over to the javelin. As I walked over to the javelin, there's about 100 people there. And the announcer said, okay, now from St. Peter's School, we've got uh, Jim uh, Harper. No one made a sound. No one walked forwards. He said it again. Jim Harper, St. Peter's School. I looked around. I was like, where is he? And then the announcer looked at me, looked at my school colors and said, will, will you represent your school there in the blue? And I looked around and he was almost saying, you'll do. Like, I'll take anyone. And I looked around and I thought, well, no. I've barely got my breath back from my event. But now you've said in front of 100 people, will you represent your school? I can't exactly say no. So I just wandered forwards thinking, I don't think I've really ever done this before. And I don't know about you, but the build of a javelin thrower is quite different from the build. Like, I'm built for endurance sports. I'm a cyclist now. That's what I do. I looked at everyone else in the line. They looked like they had been shaving for three years already. <laughs> they were as wide as a double-decker bus. And I basically, like, 
just discombobulated in my own thoughts, picked up this javelin. I think I picked it up the wrong way around. I think I like stumbled up to the line and put my foot over the line to disqualify myself. As I threw it, I managed to nearly pierce my ear on the way through and nearly knocked myself out. Honestly, it like clanked off my head. The crowd went, ooh. And then it just proceeded to travel tail down, which is not what you want. You want tail up. It traveled tail down before it touched down without jabbing in the ground. And then I was the only thing really that was jabbed in the ground. And, uh, and I stopped and I looked around and there was just a like, <laughs> a ripple of an applause. Listen, if this is unfamiliar to you today, if this is a little bit uncomfortable. It could be worse, is what I'm saying. It could be worse. But all joking aside, I just know that if to come into an environment like this, you know, it takes some bravery when you know that everybody else is like to some degree familiar with what's about to happen, with what's going on, and you feel unfamiliar. And I really respect that a lot. What we're going to do today, I don't know whether you're on a journey of faith. I don't know whether you even think there's a journey of faith to go on. But over the next 15 minutes or so, I'm going to share something of why the Christian faith, and specifically the Jesus of the Bible, is so important to Theo and Beth and many of us here today. And to do that, we're going to look at an unlikely encounter with an unlikely little curious character called Zacchaeus, an encounter that changes actually the whole trajectory of his life. And I guess the radical claim of Christianity is that Jesus is still doing that today. And that is what we believe here at Mosaic Church. But before I get into the story, I want to tell you where it is found and who wrote it. Because if you ever get a letter or an email today, it's kind of important for understanding what's going on to know the author and what was intended in the first place. So the story we're looking at today is found in Luke's Gospel. And Luke is just one account of four of Jesus' life. It was written very shortly after Jesus' death. And Luke was a physician, so he was a doctor. So he was a details guy. You want your doctor to be a details guy, don't you? You know, details are important to Luke. You don't want to go to the doctor and have him kind of, uh, I don't know, prescribe you a random course of treatment for something that he's just guessed might be wrong with you. You know, how many pills should I take? Anywhere between 1 and 50. Uh, really? What do you think's wrong with me? It could be scarlet fever, or you could have hepatitis B. It's like, I think I'll go and get a second opinion. No, you want your doctor to be somebody who's all about the detail, somebody who's thought it through, somebody who is well-trained. And that is what Luke was. This is what he says. This is how he starts his uh, account of Jesus' life. This is how he starts the Gospel of Luke. It's up on the screen. He says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down, so handed down carefully, to us by those who were the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So he's looked at it all, he's carefully investigated it. I too decided to write an orderly account, details matter, an orderly account, not a chaotic account, not something that's been thrown together, an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. 
Now, I know there are lots of theories about how we've come to have the Bible in our hands today. And I don't guess I don't have time this morning to try and satisfy all of what your questions might be. But I just want you to know today that for Luke, he has captured this in an accurate way so that you can have confidence in what you're reading. Certainty and confidence, that was his agenda. If you've got any more questions about it, I'd love to chat to you about it at the end. But the encounter we're going to look at now is found in Luke 19, 1 to 9. I'm going to read it. If you've got it in a Bible in front of you, it'll come up on the screen if you don't. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So here's what you've got. You've got Jesus passing through Jericho. Would have been a lot of hustle and bustle. It was a busy, busy time. And you've got this encounter that comes in the middle of Jesus' life and ministry. So what that meant was the word and curiosity had already started to get out about who this Jesus was and the kind of things that he was doing. And by this point, he had done many different miracles. He was in the habit of upsetting the religious stiff-necks of the day. And he also was getting uh, getting a reputation for hanging out with all the wrong sorts of people. And that's exactly what he's about to do again. Picture the scene. He's heading through the city and he makes eye contact with a small man in a tree. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was walking through a busy area and I see a small man in a tree, that is a, that is a red flag for me. <laughs> I don't know about you. I'm getting my phone out and I'm kind of doing an arc. I'm, I'm going in the other way. I'm certainly not making eye contact. Like, what are you doing in the tree? Are you about to jump on me? Like, what are you doing up there? Well, Jesus isn't like me. So instead, what he does is he stops. He stops, and it seems like he recognizes him because he calls him by name, Zacchaeus. We don't get told how he knew him, but he probably knew him because of his reputation. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means he was very wealthy. Now, as I say that, you might think, right, so revenue and customs, tax man. No, no, he's not that. And even if he was that, even if you are that, sorry to say, but you probably don't lead with it at parties, do you? Like, as you start talking about what you do, kind of will tend to ruin things in the conversation. Like, you probably lead with something else. But for him, it was even worse than that. Like, seriously worse. So to be a tax collector back then, you know, they were living in a conquered country. All the wealth and all the capital was all being sent to Rome. Like, we're talking, this was more of a racket than taxes. This is like, give us 80% of what you make, or I'm coming for you and your family. It's that kind of tax man. That is what we're talking about. And here, effectively, you've got Zacchaeus working. He's a Jew, working on behalf of the tyrannical leadership of Rome, kind of pillaging his own people and lining his pockets at the very same time. You can imagine he isn't very popular. And he's not. All this wealth he's acquired, it's all come at a cost. Because the Romans, really, they just put up with him. And the Jews, well, they hated him. So he's like sandwiched in the middle, ostracized, outcast, but he's got a load of money. 
he's probably quite lonely. Part of how we know that he's probably quite lonely is that the fact that he's in the tree in the first place. It's like he didn't need to be in the tree. Now, bear with me for a second. But, you know, I'm, I'm fairly tall. That's not me trying to brag. It's just a, a fact. If I'm around short people, which, you know, I do spend quite a lot of my life around people who are shorter than me, say I'm at a wedding. Like, if I'm at a wedding, well, all I need to do is say, yeah, you come here, you, you stand in front of me, you want to be able to see. It's, like, it's not like all the short people are in trees in the wedding photo, is it? It's not like <laughs> the cameraman's here is like, right, you guys there, short people in the sycamore. It's like, he didn't need to be in the tree. He could have just looked over, you know, you just look over the person's head. And I can actually, in those moments, look quite magnanimous, because I can say, sure, yeah, come here, yeah, come here, I'll go to the back, no worries, I'll go to the back. Ah, oh, look at me at the back. I can, see, I can see. I'm in the photo. Like, you're here. Like, it's no skin off my nose. He didn't need to be in the tree. Why was he in the tree? Why was he in the tree? He's in the tree because he probably knew they're not going to let me in the picture. It's not a picture. They're not going to let me see Jesus. That's why he was in the tree. Maybe he wanted to stay anonymous. Such was the shame that he was carrying. Shameful, lonely, wealthy, but definitely curious and definitely persistent. Have you ever tried try to climb a tree as a grown man or a woman? You know, it's, it's not as easy as it was when you were a kid. He's curious. He's persistent. I wonder if you relate in any way. You know, are you curious? Maybe you're here today and this is you looking in. Are you curious about who Jesus might be, about his claims? Maybe you're curious, but you think, I don't want to get too close, because what might others think, friends, certain family members? Like, I want to get close, but I also kind of want to have a look from a distance. I wonder if you have the curiosity that Zacchaeus had on that day. Next, we see Jesus drop two bombshells, and they are bombshells. And the first is this, and this is what we're going to spend our time looking at. Jesus' welcome extends to all. That's what we're about to see. Jesus' welcome extends to all. And the second thing is he has the power to transform and restore. He has the power to transform and restore. Number one, Jesus' welcome extends to all. Let's look at verse five. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus goes from watching at a safe, safe distance to almost being the central, one of the central figures in this story. As Jesus invites him down and he invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. In that day, to go to someone's house for a meal was really an act of love and acceptance, to share a meal together. Like, meals today are a big thing. You know, it's nice to be invited for a meal. But back then, in their culture, it was a much, much bigger deal. This is Jesus saying, look, Zacchaeus, you know, I know you're basically hiding in this tree. I know that you've ripped people off and you've been ostracized for it. I know there's not much love for you out here. But listen, I love you. I accept you. And I'm coming to your house for dinner, and I'm going to show everybody that I'm willing to do that. I'm going to show everybody that I'm willing to do that. 
here in this one act of love, in this shared meal, what we get is a glimpse into the very heart of Christianity. In this one little microcosm moment, you get a much broader picture of the scope and the heart of Christianity, the scope and the heart of God himself. The thing that sets Christianity apart from all other world religions is that your standing with God doesn't rely on what you've done, good or bad. Your standing with God doesn't rely on what you've done, good or bad, but it's about who you put your trust in. It's who you put your trust in. It's not your own moral record. It's who you put your trust in. Salvation, whether you believe there is such a thing or not, salvation, forgiveness, a relationship with God, it isn't earned, but it is a gift. It is a gift given, and it's only made possible by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, at the cross is where we see God's perfect son taking on the weight of a broken world, all of my mess, all of yours, all the stuff that we're just least proud of and won't want anybody really to know about, stuff in the deepest crevasses of our heart and mind. He takes on all that stuff, and in return, what he gives you is new life and a new start. That is the grand exchange that takes place at the cross for those who put their trust in Jesus. It's a radical idea now, and it's a radical idea back then, and we know that because just look at the response of the crowd. This is what they say in verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And what shocks them, and maybe shocks us, is the order of these events. So here's what the crowd would have wished Jesus had actually said. Zacchaeus, you there there in the tree, I see you trying to get close to me, have a look. Sort your life out, sort your life out, and maybe I'll come to your house for dinner. Sort your life out, clean yourself up, and then maybe I'll come to your house for dinner. That's what the crowd would have desired Jesus would have said. But Jesus does the very opposite. He loves him first. He loves him first. I wonder what your view of God is today. I think depending on your background, we can often have a bit of a vague view of God, maybe informed more by popular culture than the Bible itself. I'm part of a cycling club in Leeds, and on a ride recently, one of the guys, I was talking about how his Christmas was, and as we were chatting, he said, oh, I went to a carol service, because he knows I lead a church, and he said, oh, I went to a carol service, actually. I was like, oh, how'd you find it? He's like, well, let me, let me find exactly what he said. He said, I set foot in a church, and I managed not to burst in flames, so I'll take that. That's what he said. And like we're both riding like shoulder to shoulder next to each other. And I kind of laughed and I, and I asked him what, what he meant. Because I, I, I knew what he meant. I knew what he was getting at. But I wanted him to say in his own words, like, where do you get that from? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, let's put it this way, Rich. I've done some less than exemplary, exemplary stuff in my life. And he said, I, I'm not expecting to reach those gates and get a warm welcome. That was what he said. He thought if he gets too close to God, something bad might happen. That was what he thought. His joke gets to the heart of, I think, often what lots of us can feel about God, which is he's distant and he's cold towards us. I wonder in your more honest moments, if you entertain the idea that God could be real, in your most honest moments, how did he feel towards you? How would he feel towards you? You probably don't have a history of you know, extortion like Zacchaeus did. If you do, 
this story, it's good news, tells you that there's still hope for you. But even if you don't, even if you don't, we all know that there is stuff that we've done that is a source of guilt for us. It's a source of shame. It's stuff we're not proud of. We, we know that we're not perfect. And the reality is, in those moments, like, what do we think God really feels towards us? I'm here to say, to say, you don't need to guess. You don't need to guess because this story tells you. This story tells you. The best way to know what God and how God feels about us is to look at the person of Jesus. Is to look at the person of Jesus because God is best viewed, best seen, best understood in the person of Jesus. And this is what he does. He welcomes Zacchaeus in the tree and he welcomes you too. The question is, how do you respond to Jesus' welcome? Zacchaeus came down the tree and he welcomed Jesus gladly. That was how he responded. Put yourself in Zacchaeus' shoes for a moment. How do you respond? How do you respond to Jesus' welcome? Lastly, we're going to see that this encounter had a radical transformational effect on Zacchaeus' life. Jesus has the power to transform and to restore. Verse 8, but when Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, sorry, when Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And we don't know exactly when Zacchaeus said this. Was it at the meal? Was it after the meal? But what we know for certain is that he is a changed man. You know, back then, the Old Testament law, if you had wronged somebody, what you had to do is you had to add 20%. So what you'd do is you give 120%. So you give back the money you've wronged and you add 20%. He commits to giving 400% back. Why? He's encountered something more powerful than money. See, God's love and acceptance, God's love and acceptance has resulted in radical generosity in his life. Yeah, I think often when we think of greed, we think it's about us having a grip on money, you know, the idea of being tight-fisted. Well, I think the reality is that if you chase wealth, that if you look to wealth to make you feel secure, ultimately if you worship wealth over all other things, it's not you having a grip on it, it's it has a grip on you. It actually controls you and your actions. And what we see here is that Zacchaeus is... The welcome he receives from God, it he, means he is freed from the grip of wealth. And let me tell you, the community's jaws would have been on the floor. They would have been on the floor. What more evidence do you need that there is something more about this person of Jesus? He spends one meal with the biggest crook in town, and all of a sudden he's changed, 180, like completely changed. He takes the worst part of Zacchaeus' life, and he makes it his most beautiful feature. You see that? He takes Zacchaeus' weakness, the very source of his exclusion from the community, the thing that everyone hated him for, his greed. And by his grace and by his power, he transforms it into Zacchaeus' strength. Zacchaeus' gift to the community is now his generosity. I love this. It's like Jesus almost makes pearls out of pain. He makes pearls out of pain. 
Um, I don't know if you know how pearls are formed, but they're formed in places of great pressure in the ocean, where it is darkest, where you would kind of look down and you'd think, you know, those you watch the Discovery Channel or whatever that thing that Attenborough does, and you see those weird creatures that live like really deep down in the ocean, you think nothing good is coming from down there. Well, actually, down there, under great pressure, in great darkness, you get these beautiful pearls. And I wonder for Zacchaeus, the very source in his life, his love for money that has meant that he's ultimately been an outcast and ostracized. I wonder if he ever thought that that part of his life could be turned around. I wonder if even for you today, the most broken parts of our lives, like the hardest parts of our lives, the sources actually that cause us most pain often, do we believe that God could turn those areas right around? You know, this story tells us that there is no area of our life that Jesus can't restore and transform. I don't know if there's an area of your life that maybe you feel would disqualify you, that God might hold you at a distance because of that area. Maybe there's pain you've experienced that you just think, I wish I could just erase that memory. Maybe it's things you've done, things done to you, circumstances out of your control. And you think, if I could just ignore that, if I could become numb to that, The reality is when we try and do that, it just always finds a way out in our life, no matter how much you try and bottle and stuff things down. Like, that is the reality. That's been my experience. But God says to us today that there is a better way, that actually there is a life that he invites us to where the worst parts about us he can transform, renew, and he can even make beautiful. There is a better way. Will you bring your whole self to Jesus this morning? Would you trust him even with the most difficult bits? And will you allow him to redeem, restore, and renew? Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you that this story shows us that you are a God of welcome. And you're not just a God who welcomes those who have things together, but you're you're the God who welcomes all, all people from all places, all times, Lord, all backgrounds. Lord, whether life has given us an easy ride up till now or a tough ride, Lord, you welcome all. You draw all to yourself. And not only that, But in your power, in your grace, and in your mercy, Lord, you're able to transform. Transform even the most broken parts of us. Even the bits we're most ashamed of. Even the bits that we feel have happened. And there's no no hope in those bits. That they may be just painful. and And that's that. We just wish we could forget. Lord, I thank you that you are the God who brings beauty from ashes. You're the God who sees all things. And even though we have unanswered questions, you're you're the God who welcomes us, transforms, renews, and says, put your trust in me. Put your trust in me.